Welcome to the All for Inclusion podcast. This is the place where the conversation starts. You will hear plenty of stories on how disability has impacted people from school through to work, the struggles they have faced and how they've overcome them. There will be lots of tips on how businesses, society and people can become more inclusive. Here's your host, Scott Whitney. Welcome everybody to the next edition or episode of the All for Inclusion pod. My name's Scott Whitney and I am joined by Victoria Jenkins. How are you doing, Victoria? I'm good, thanks. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Excellent, excellent. So, um, Victoria, you're the founder of a fashion brand called Unhidden. Um, Can you tell our listeners a little bit about it, please? Well, trying to do the short version, do the elevator pitch. Uh, So Unhidden is a socially responsible, universal design fashion brand um, with a focus on people with disabilities, um, but through universal design, which means anyone can wear it. Um, The range is very small. It's got 10 pieces altogether. Um, I'm actually going to remove gender from it because I don't really believe that's relevant, frankly. Um, so I've got, men's, I have got five men's and five women's pieces, but that's just going to become the range. Um, and they answer a number of different access needs, different um, disabilities. There are seated trousers, which are obviously very specific to wheelchair users, but the rest of the range can be worn by anybody. If you don't need the adaptations, then fine. You're just wearing something that's made from dead stock fabric, which means it's um, surplus fabric. So I'm just using up what already exists um, in a bid to be sustainable. I try and steer away from the word sustainable because it's so overused in the fashion industry. And I say socially responsible because it's not just, it's about the entire supply chain. So, you know, the garment workers, you know, I, I will never work with a sweatshop, which well, I'm sure we'll come to why the prices are what they are currently. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that's a terrible nutshell. That's not very brief. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. And, and yeah, I mean, I was having a look on your, uh, on your website just before we came on and it's, it's, it's very easy to kind of move between, um, like you said at the moment, the, the, the two genders, but obviously you want to, uh, want to remove that. Um, and, 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 and a lot of the items, when you look at it, can be worn by anyone, can they? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think the, I mean, the, for example, the women's have a wrap function, but there's no reason why the men, you know, men can't wear that or, you know, non-binary, however you define yourself. Um, The, you know, because the back waistbands on all of them are elasticated and they all have the same essential features built into all of them, you can mix and match what you need, depending on just how you like to dress. So, yeah. Yeah, excellent. And actually, that's one thing when I was looking at the uh, that section where I saw that wrap and wrap top, and I thought, oh, I wonder if there's one on the men's, and uh, and then it was time to come on the call, so I didn't have a chance <laughs> to have a look. Um, okay, so can you tell us a little bit of um, about where Unhidden came from? So Unhidden came from. I mean, I studied fashion design. I've worked in the industry as a garment technologist, which is like a clothing engineer for 14 years um but 
And Hidden came from, well, in 2012, I, after years of a bit of medical gaslighting, had an undiagnosed ulcer that burst in my stomach, a little bit of life-saving surgery later, and then multiple other bits of me removed and rewired and things diagnosed and what have you. So it wasn't until, that was 2012, so it wasn't until 2016, and I was in hospital with a fellow patient who knew that I was working in fashion, and we just struck up a conversation, and she'd gone through cancer but was left with a number of other conditions as cancer patients tend to be and she couldn't dress you know for how she wanted she couldn't dress how she wanted to at home for her job in the hospital just generally you know she was uncomfortable and she invariably had to take everything off um and I just thought at the time I you know this seems so obvious I, I was convinced I said to her, somebody will be doing this like now you've said it of course there's this need for access to your body or different ways of getting dressed like somebody must be doing this it was very, very limited in 2016. I wouldn't say in the UK, unfortunately, it's not progressed much beyond that. But that's where it came from, essentially, was sort of that light bulb moment in hospital. Um, went back to work and the idea didn't leave. So I decided, right, I'll quit. Um, ultimately, what was my dream job? Uh, I'll quit and I'll start unhidden and go freelance. But then I got too busy freelancing. So uh, not an awful lot really moved forward. And apart from, you know, endless designing and researching um in my own time but I didn't really progress anything until lockdown in 2020 and suddenly freelance clients dried up and I thought right well let's let's go for it and see what happens and it's uh, been quite a journey excellent excellent so um obviously lockdown's tough time for absolutely everyone Hmm. um so how tough was it for you starting a business in lockdown Um, and what was your biggest challenges Oh, well, this is the the terrible truth is um, I found it a bit of a gift uh, when, you know, the sort of the constant pressure to go out, see friends, family, go out to work meetings, all the rest of it. Um, When that was removed, I had obviously, you know, physically wasn't allowed to leave the house. I had way more energy, so much more time because of that increased energy, because I wasn't, you know, overexhausting myself all of the time. So... Yeah, it, it was. And also because I've been working for myself anyway, it wasn't that big. You know, obviously I would actually go out to meetings, but it wasn't that big. It was a bit weird having my partner under my feet all the time, but it wasn't um, <laughs> it wasn't that different for me, really. And I thought, you know, well, at the end of the day, why not? You know, it's it's now or never. And I might not have this gift of time again. Uh, it, obviously, it has come with challenges. And I think, you know, there's no denying one of the biggest ones is, you know, the pandemic decimated the community you know 60 percent of people who died from covid had a disability so whilst also it being a mass disabling event as well so you know it's kind of a weird combination of things but yeah it was it's a gamble to launch that sort of for this particular market but i thought you know we're all at home anyway and representation if nothing else it's at least a fight for that so while i haven't done a great job on sales um I think in terms of representation in the fashion industry, I've done, you know, I feel it never feels like enough, but I feel like I've done a fair bit to yeah. move the conversation along. Yeah, no, I definitely think uh, I definitely think you have with some of the, the sort of pictures and and articles and things that uh, that I've seen. So what's been the most enjoyable moment with Unhidden? Um, I always come back to the first shoot really because that was the first time seeing people wearing the designs and seeing 
you know, people my own age outside of a hospital setting on a fashion shoot, you know, that I'd coordinated. That was, it was just, we're all great friends now. I mean, we have a WhatsApp group and everything. We're all still, <laughs> we're still in touch. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was just seeing that kind of that penny drop moment for other people of someone cares, someone's done this. Mm. And you know, maybe, maybe more, you know, more people will come from it. And some of them have gone on to model for other brands and, you know go off and have you know it's given them confidence in ways that I hadn't even sort of factored in really um so that you know there's that I won't deny like the first pitching at Enterprise Nations um female startup award in last October whilst one of the scariest things I had done at the time um yeah walking up on a stage and then having my name called out as sort of being the winner that was a pretty that was a pretty good moment I was on my own like I didn't have anybody (laughs) Yeah. with me so like if a bit anticlimactic then getting on a train and coming home on my own being like oh, I've got all this stuff um but yeah that that was pretty awesome and the run you know the runway show in February with Samantha Bullock was seeing things go down a runway was you know a really nice moment because it wasn't something I ever thought I would do mm. what was the reaction from people watching um when people was going down the runway in unhidden's clothes well, mostly bafflement. I think some people could, I think they, I think they thought that, you know, the models, there we are, that was the point of the brand. Yeah. Um, but, you know, looking at the range, obviously it is shirts and trousers. So if you, if you put that next to a bunch of really creative fashion designers, it looks, you know, very simple. Uh, so I've realized now if I do, where, well, I say if, when I do my next catwalk event, I would probably have and it would help to be fair it would help participants um or audience members i would describe what the clothes do because i yeah. think that's what the difference is you can't see what i've done to make them adaptive yeah people don't even notice so they just think you know someone's designed a load of shirts and trousers and sorry don't those already exist yeah 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 <laughs> so yeah so i think that's you know and obviously the first range was always going to be small and capsule like september i'm looking forward to bringing in some much more extravagant pieces of design and occasion wear and expanding the range just generally across the board. Excellent. Excellent. And, um, and you spoke about your incident with the uh, ulcer in your stomach. Mm. Um, So when did, when did that sort of come about and and how old was you at the time? So I, well, I was, I, I just graduated so I was round about 20, well, I was 23 when I would say I'd, I'd never been, a, I wouldn't say I'd ever been a particularly well child. I remember having a lot of trouble with bloating and gas and so on growing up. But yeah, in my early 20s, it was worse. I was going you know, in and out of the doctors, various hospitals. A lot of the time, unfortunately, the response was you're too young for it to be anything. You're female. It's probably related to your period. Oh, you work in fashion. It's probably stress. Or, you know, or how is your relationship with your boyfriend? There was not very much investigative sort of um, (laughs) tests and diagnostics run, Uh, you know, which is obviously a very long conversation in itself. But yeah, so I mean, it was to such a point, though, that when it did burst, I was 26. um, And I, you know, I have therefore I've developed quite a high tolerance for pain. I always assumed, you know, it would if it was if it was really bad and it was, you know, I was maybe going to die, it would hurt more. Don't get me wrong. It hurt a lot, <laughs> but uh, instead of doing a sensible thing, because I think I noticed the pain on the Thursday night or Wednesday night, Thursday night. Um, and I felt so awful the Friday morning 
I thought, do you know what I'll do? I'll put on six inch heels, my favorite jeans, and I'll go to work really dressed up. That's how I'll feel better. <laughs> and uh, I remember sitting down and one of my friends sort of looking at me and saying, should you be here? And I was like, well, where, what else am I going to do? And she's like, well, shouldn't you go and see a doctor? I'm like, what are they going to say? What are they always say? So what's the, what's the point? And I was meant to go out with friends on the Friday evening and I cancelled and went home early because it was Mother's Day on the Sunday. So got home, had a lovely dinner with my family on the Friday night, went to bed and sort of thought, okay, this, this feels quite bad. I think, I think I might need a bit of help. But I still text my mum at about 6.30 in the morning because she was in the room below and just said, um, I think we need to go to the hospital actually, but I want to have a shower first. Yeah. <laughs> she came thundering up the stairs and she was like, I knew you needed to go. Uh, so we went and I, I, because I walked in, um, you know, the staff were relatively slow to start as well. It wasn't until, I, you know, they sort of said, well, we'll do an x-ray if you sort of upright, you know, of your abdomen. And I just saw people run out of the room and I thought, oh, there must be an emergency somewhere else. Oh, dear. And then I was the emergency and I was like, oh, <laughs> oops. Um, and yeah, the surgeon afterwards sort of sat on my bed and said, I don't know how I don't know how you went almost 48 hours with a burst stomach mm-hmm. you know you shouldn't have you shouldn't have been able to survive that frankly but it was you know it wasn't until we got home from the hospital that my mum said oh when they when they wheeled you down they said it was 50 50 whether you were coming back up because yeah. they didn't know what they were going to find um so I was obviously very lucky in many respects uh, but I still went from that to oh, okay well that was the thing that's always been wrong that's happened now I'll get better um, and that's not quite what happened. You know, it was, I, well, I have a paralyzed stomach. I had a diseased gallbladder, which is gone. I've had my stomach reroute. So I have an extra internal pouch, like from my intestine to my stomach to help it empty. I have my appendix out. There's lots of me that's all stuck together. I've had adhesions and also, you know, there's lots, lots of things have gone on in there. Um, so I sort of, I think by 2016, I sort of accepted that I wasn't going to get better, uh, but I still don't think I really was using, I wasn't applying the word disabled to myself though. That took, that took a bit longer, I think, to sort of accept. And that's because of, you know, our, all of our experience of disabled being a bad word. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that was going to be the question I was going to ask, you know, why didn't you use um, the term disabled? And do you think now if you, um, if you could go back in time, you would you you would class yourself as disabled then? Yes, I think I would have. Yeah, I think I would have. I think the the problem is, you know, no doctor suddenly rings you up and says, "Well done, you're disabled." Uh, mm. Especially, you know, when I I don't present, you know, I I don't look. Not that that really means anything, but um, especially when it comes to sort of, I would say, the older male doctors. If you don't look sick, you're not sick. Mm. Um, so. Yeah. And I I think it would have, it was fighting it as well. It was thinking that I didn't qualify because, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't that or this or this other condition or, you know, that whole p- other people have it worse. Um, but I think actually the best thing has been finding, you know, sort of an online community and speaking to other people and just reading other people's experiences and realizing, well, yeah, it does impact me every day. You know, I've, I've lost friends, I've lost jobs, I've lost time with people that I wanted to have you know I've missed out on events and it's you know it's, it's something that's built into every day whether you know you saw if you just take you just do it as it comes you know as you lose a bit more and a bit more mm. and then it doesn't until you look back and you go well I used to go out you know every single night of the week work a whole five day week 
go out all weekend and just keep, you know, just do that. And now the thought of it makes me very tired. Um, <laughs> but it's also, it would be absolutely impossible. I'm flat out not capable of it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I mean, I know you touched about, you know, there's no doctor says you are now disabled. And I, uh, when I was going through my process, I was asked, you know, am I now classed as disabled? And there's that kind of period where people won't say yes or no. I mean, I've now got a blue badge and a bus pass and things like that. So it's quite easy to say yes. But there was a there was a period where people were saying, well, you might be, you might not be. Um, So it's hard to, to kind of no and you don't want to to use the term um necessarily if you're not but um yeah um one thing that i did want to sort of pick up on you said that um during it obviously you've lost work and different things like that but you also lost um friends with uh with your disability yeah i mean i i do completely understand it and it's funny enough it's something i'm finding a parallel between becoming disabled and being a small business owner some people don't stick around um and that's I you know I think people obviously people change and your priorities shift I think there's no denying I cancel a lot on a lot of people I know that's you know a lot of people that do that it's never a problem with my fellow disabled friends you know oh sorry I can't do it even five minutes before you're due somewhere everybody you know everyone just gets it um and I think people that aren't in that space it's just a struggle. And I think they see, you know, if they see you out with somebody else on another day, they're like, well, why couldn't they hang out with me on this day? When, yeah. you know, so, and I, so, and I completely, I, I do understand it. And I, it's something I wish I could change, but it is what it is at the end of the day. So um, it, it's sad. And it's certainly something I think there should be more of a conversation around because, you know, that in itself, it is very isolating. You feel isolated anyway, because you're stuck at home feeling rubbish, you know, for example, and yeah. it's, you can't go out, you know, it's not, and your friends aren't always going to come around. That's the thing I've really noticed is with each hospital admission, the amount of people that actually come to visit you gets less and less. Because yes. like, well, she's always there. So it's, you know, <laughs> we, know, we don't need to go and see. And you're like, well, actually, this far down the line, I'm really bored rather than worried. I don't, you know, a bit of company would be lovely. Whereas before I was scared and panicked and didn't want to see anybody. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's just one of those things. And it's a tough one to accept. And it's, Especially, I'm find, like I said, I'm finding now with being a small business owner, it's kind of the same. You know, you, I go out pretty much only if it's related to work, uh, which doesn't go down very well with people that don't have a small business and certainly people that, you know, I'd cancel on quite a lot anyway as well. So it's, mm. it's hard. Uh, and I think it's a case of, you know, other small business owners also understand, you, you know, work comes first. You, it's your baby. You don't, you know it's it's what gets you out of bed in the morning or not sometimes I work from bed you know it does depend on the day um but yeah it's it's a tough one and I there's not a huge amount of support for that I don't think you know you can't suddenly magic new people into your life apart from online I would say that's you know it's been the one thing that even pre-covid had been sort of a delight to me was I know everyone likes to demonize social media and don't get me wrong there are obviously terrible pockets of it but it has also been one of the best sources of friendship. I'm starting to meet people in real life that I've been speaking to, you know, in other countries for, mm. you know, two, three years. And I think that's something really magical. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. And how does, um, how, how do you sort of cope with fatigue? Is that an issue for you? Yes. Uh, well, I don't always do the best around it. I'm certainly, I would say I'm trying. So I try and say Wednesdays are rest days. 
Um, so I don't, I, I obviously do look at emails, but I try and say that I don't and I won't respond to anything and I don't book calls in uh, for Wednesdays. Uh, my email signature, I've sort of said, you know, working hours are 10 till five and I don't work Wednesdays. So I try and sort of build it in. But the problem is, you know, I'm, I, if I can't sleep, I'll be like, you know, what? I'll just send this email and it's one o'clock in the morning. Mm. Uh, the amount of people I've had insomnia chats with where we're all just like, oh, we can't sleep. Should we just, should we just have a Zoom? Uh, my poor boyfriend. I've had to learn I can't actually have conversations late at night because I talk too loud. So, um, <laughs> so now we just have furious typing um, messages instead at random times. So, yeah, it's, and it's, I have had to, as things have opened up and obviously people want to have in-person meetings or, you know, speaking events now in person, it just means, I've had, you know, the thing that has, I've lost is social life, essentially. Um, yeah. That's the thing that I had to give, you know, it was Zoom, Zoom calls. I know everyone's bored of them, but, you know, having a glass of wine over Zoom with a friend for me was still great and it still is a great option because the pressure on me to go out and it's, you know, it's the energy to get there, the energy to come home while you're out and the expense of it at the end of the day, you know, it's, um, it's a pricey time to be alive. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's hard to manage energy, especially when I think I have so many exciting things going on and my brain doesn't necessarily shut up. So I'm just kind of in that phase of constantly tired without ever really getting the sleep I need. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can, uh, I can appreciate some of that for sure. Um, so if we was to to kind of look back at, at, at let's concentrate on, on on your health first of all what what one piece of advice would you uh would you give to someone who's going through either similar to you or or anything really uh, i think first and foremost you know don't give up it's not all in your head but the favorite bit of advice that I can't remember, I saw it from somebody else and now I tell everybody it and I've used it and it works, is if you see a doctor and, you know, you're sure that no one knows your own body like yourself. But if, you know, they don't want to do anything, just say, okay, I want you to write on your notes that you've chosen to take no action. Yeah. And I'll tell you, not a single doctor wants to write that on paperwork. Like they won't. So they will organize that test. They will do a referral. Mm. Um, and that was, you know, I've had some terrible consultants that were awful so that and that really helped you know and I think you know I think it sort of reminds them that you are a human with a you know an opinion on what happens as well mm. and I think this kind of I do I mean don't get me wrong I feel for GPs because how on earth they can manage to diagnose all sorts of things across every single person that walks into their surgery nightmare um, but you know that said if you've got a patient that keeps coming back there's clearly something happening and I think the old it's all in your head sort of rhetoric hasn't really helped. So advocating for yourself and taking somebody with you if you're not, you know, if you've not, it's it's hard. To, it's really hard to take stuff in. I used to struggle to remember exactly what had been said when they'd maybe just dropped, a, you know, a condition name or a symptom or, you know, OK, so we're going to start booking in surgery. And in my head, I've just got alarm bells ringing and I'm not listening mm. to the next five minutes worth of chat. So it's really helpful to have somebody with you yeah definitely definitely and I'm, I'm really lucky my gp is is awesome he's um he's dropped a letter up for me at quarter to 10 at night he's oh, wow. uh, and he does a lot of his calls to me after the uh the surgery shut just so then there's no sort of time limit no pressure so i'm very lucky on that from my awesome. consultant however is probably the opposite but okay. that's another story um okay and then 
Um, what about tips for someone starting a business? Gosh, uh, I mean, I usually say just start, but that's actually not very helpful. Um, I think knowing your market and like you've got to have passion for it. If you know, if you're going to eat, sleep, and breathe it, if you don't care about it enough, it's very difficult to convince other people to care about it. So I think you know this kind of these make money quick sort of scheme ideas, they very rarely actually work mm. um, and it would be a waste of time. I think the other thing is to get, you know, start networking before you even have, you know, even a business name. Um, you know, I've been on, I was on heaps of calls and I'd say, well, I've had this idea, but I you know, haven't, haven't really done anything with it. And people remember and they sort of, it sparks a conversation or maybe they say, well, when you're at this stage or you're looking to do X, Y, Z, get back in touch um i have done very well just through signing up to enterprise nation which is free and their resources are incredible through them i met souk and now through souk i've got a tech investor you know it's it's all really it, you know it, it is helpful i think the other thing is there's no you know you have to look at the finances and i'm trying really hard with multiple different banks at the moment to have a conversation with them about how they need to work on something different for us because mm. you know i can't I, I need a very small amount of technically very small amount of money right now just to get stock made, but I can't get a bank loan because and has not been trading long enough. And me personally hasn't had an income over the last two years. So they're not going to give me a loan. Yeah. So Therefore I have no option, you know, and it's not like I have savings either. And then on top of that, you know, you factor in if you're on either universal credit or you're on benefits then you can't suddenly have a, you know, an influx of money either. And it impacts all of that. So I think there's, you know, a really big, practical step needs to be taken but they are really responsive especially if you call them out about it so i think you know any anyone who's got a business idea and they're disabled i think you've got to have a, a flat out look at the, the finances and how you plan to fund it but that that doesn't mean you can't also start doing all the other things like registering a domain name registering the company's house starting a social media community you know like all of those things they're, they're all little steps that you all have to do anyway so just do mm -hmm. the thing that, you know just just start um, yeah. And it's sort of, there's no, you know, there isn't a, a checklist. And the more small business owners that I meet, we are all making it up as we go along. <laughs> it's, it's no one, no one's been like, okay, check, you've done this, now you can do this, check, now you can do this. Like, it's just, you know, times change. The pandemic changed everything. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, uh, I've got a friend who does a, a podcast on uh, on founders. And a lot of the people that speak talk about, all the books that they read and they use them as manuals as they go. I'm so pleased that you said that it's, you make it up as you go along because I mean, um, there are great books out there. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't read a book on how to run a business at all at any yeah. point. I think yeah. there's a lot of great books about how to mm. run a business and things like that sat on my bookshelf unread. And yeah. <laughs> eventually I might get to them, but they just, they're just there at the minute. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> Excellent. And just one last thing before we uh, before we finish. Um, I mean, have you just got any just advice in general, or sort of tips, or any last kind of thing you want to want to say? Um, gosh, I think you know, something I've been thinking about this more and more because obviously, as obviously with unhidden, what I'm trying to do is let's face it sell adaptive clothing but I'm also trying to make other brands think about inclusive design and the disabled community and I think we've all sort of we've been conditioned to not ask 
so I think, and especially recently, I don't know if you've seen, Lucy Dawson has gone through this whole thing with a clothing brand where they casually used her for a campaign and then ran an event, didn't invite her because it wasn't accessible, and then deleted everyone who complained about it, their comments on their Instagram and Twitter feeds. Um, right. Not great behaviour. Uh, but I think that it's the now, you know, if there's a brand that you like, that you've shopped at, that you want to represent you, that you want to design for you, keep on at them, like email them, comment on every single social media post they have. Like we have got power and the more we shout, the more that they will hear and the quicker things will happen. I think it's a disgrace in 2022 that, you know, I'm the first adapted brand to join the British Fashion Council. That should, you know, I'm proud of that, but that shouldn't be the case. Mm. And I think, you know, the industry's got a lot to answer for, but for it to, it's, it's not got the same sort of time to catch up as I think it has tried to do with plus size. And I don't like using that phrase either because I think it's ridiculous um, because it shouldn't be a thing. It should, or you should already be making clothes for every single size is yeah. my opinion on that. Um, so yeah, they're out of time. And I think that, you know, the, the adaptive designers exist to work with and collaborate with whilst you then send your existing designers on maybe a course teaching them how to, do this and a lot of it's not even very hard they probably already have parts in their range that are adaptive so yeah my biggest thing would be just keep on at brands keep on at companies and you know the cha- the change is coming it's horribly delayed and it's still miles away from where it needs to be but you know there's myself and Kat from Seated Sewing who I know has been a guest on here before she's absolutely fantastic and there's Shamaya Jui uh, who's got a short stature range there's Emma, who has Kintsugi, who launched in 2019. You know, there are a few UK brands. There's more and there's Karen from Beanie's. Oh, now I've started naming people. I'm going to feel really <laughs> awful for everyone that I don't say. But there, there are brands there and they really care. And they're, they're ready to speak to existing brands, um, you know, to use their, their lived experience, but also their design experience. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it's it's happening. But yeah, keep the pressure on. Excellent. Excellent advice. Uh- <laughs> I guess, um, as like I said, as we're as we're just wrapping up, I mm. guess what I'm going to be doing is keeping an eye on your website. Um, yes, there are things on there personally which which I think I will be uh, be buying for myself. So mm-hmm. next time we see each other, I might be sat here wearing uh, an unhidden t-shirt. Awesome! And uh, and then will I be getting the awful inclusion pod flashing up along the middle of the website with the BBC and all the other places that you featured because you featured in quite a few big, big places. Yes. Yeah. It's been breathtaking. And I'm, you know, I'm waiting for my, my Ted talk to go live. Um, That was, yeah, that was an experience. And there's a lot more happening this year as well. And like I said, there is, the expansion to the range there is kids wear coming some very exciting licensing deals and i mean june fashion week i'm doing a collaboration with style for stroke um so it's not going to be a runway show but september big plans big big plans for september and i'm even going to the states in september for their fashion week so oh excellent yeah. so a case taking, of taking it across the pond <laughs> watch this space yeah excellent well when the um, when the podcast comes out in the show notes, there will be links to Unhidden. And if the TED Talk is out then, which I think it probably should be, links will be in there as well for that. Awesome. Brilliant. So thank you very much for listening. Um, thank you, Victoria, for uh, for coming on. It's been absolutely amazing chatting to you tonight. It's flown by. I've just seen the time and gone, oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I could talk a lot. 
<laughs> Excellent. So, like I said, thank you very much for listening. And um, yeah, goodbye. Thank you for listening to the All for Inclusion podcast. We'd love you to subscribe and to help other podcast listeners find us more easily. Please leave us a five-star rating and a review. And of course, feel free to pass the pod by sharing it with your family and friends. Remember, the podcast is available every Wednesday and keep an eye out for additional bonus episodes. See you next time on the All for Inclusion podcast.